You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight, we're looking at the Star Hunter Redux episode, Star Crossed. The Dakota clan, led by Dakota 79, is buying a thorium weapon. Of course, there's no honor amongst thieves, and so the sellers try to double-cross the buyers, and the buyers are just fine with that because they wanted them dead as a message anyway. Jupiter Federation calls in Travis Montana for a bounty job. Bring in Dakota 79 on parking tickets to help prevent a major clan war between the Dakotas and the Verns. It's quite a generous bounty, and Travis accepts. And then bothers to get the agreement of the others later. Travis and Callie go undercover as weapons experts in an effort to get close to Dakota 79. They do really well, getting past background checks, uh, technical checks, uh, even loyalty checks. And they just stumble on one thing. Travis's old, seemingly unconsummated flame from yet another clan is now Dakota 79's main squeeze, and she knows he's not a weapons expert, but she doesn't give him away. She's no longer with her clan, and their love is no longer forbidden. Also, she's a bounty hunter, too, so they could split the fee. Unfortunately, evidence is mounting that Travis Montana really is from the Montana family. He's failed the stupidity test. He and his friend are yakking about their history and their subterfuge and their jobs and their plans, and they fail to consider the paranoid Dakota 79 might just have had a recording device in Travis's cell all along, which there was, and there rumbled. But 2.5 seconds later, they've apprehended Dakota 79, and off they go back to the trans-utopian. Just one thing. During this little junket, it's come to light that Rudolfo has been secretly communicating with a bounty hunter broker who specializes in recovering runaway raiders. And while Rudolfo doesn't outright tell him that they have a runaway raider on board, he says enough for the broker to come calling with a bounty hunter in tow. And after an armed standoff, the armed bounty hunter... Hunter escapes into the ship. Travis, Callie, and uh, the friend arrive, and after a minute or so, the bounty hunter is killed by Rodolfo. And Travis's friend, of course, tries to double-cross him and take Dakota 79 and the thorium for herself. That fails, so she leaves, hopefully never to return, but sadly, I doubt that. The end. So, uh, what do you got? I can start by answering one of your questions, which is we do not see her again. Oh, well, it's actually a, a surprise, B, a welcome one. So, okay. I thought for sure they were setting her up as a recurring uh, co-counter-bounty hunter, uh, star-crossed lovers kind of, uh, kind of thing. So, uh, that's... Uh, that, that that is interesting. I also and you know you know what my favorite thing about this episode is? What's that? It was not a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, which is what I expected. I mean, okay, there's just a little tiny itty bitty bit of that 
the whole thing between her and Travis, but but you know it really wasn't. It's just it it, it in fact it was so um, it's so incidental to everything. The fact that it was called Starcrossed was really a strange name for the episode. I, I honestly haven't got a lot on this one. Um, it, it, okay, I have notes. Uh, I can tell you first of all for everybody's information this is the second episode of the second season mm-hmm. and we we this episode sets up um part of travis's backstory okay. and in the next the next in the next episode we will get a we get a setup on marcus's backstory and in the fourth episode we'll get a setup on callie's backstory Yes, yeah, so we're, we're getting we're, so the, it's a series of setting up the the new the new characters here. What did they set up on Travis in this that we hadn't established in the last episode? We're it's more, more I guess it's, I, I, I'm sure it's really it's more of a fleshing out a bit. It, okay, but if that, do we get a bit into uh, some of his dealings in Varen Clan? So we're doing we're doing we're learning more about the characters, and in this episode, we also have the we have hints of um character piece of of character development that we will get more of in subsequent in subsequent episodes for example did you notice that marcus's eyes lit up and he got all very enthusiastic when percy mentioned there were two ballrooms uh no i didn't notice that uh i thought that was just sort of wow what a wildly useless thing to have on board this ship but then he obviously doesn't realize what it is. So, yeah. Okay. But I, I didn't really notice he was perking up. I just thought he was... If she'd said there are two Olympic swimming pools down there, I would have thought he'd have done the same thing. But, okay. So, he, big ballroom dancer he is. He All loves right. he loves ballroom dancing. That will become that will come up in, a, in, a, in one of the episodes coming up. Uh, we get some more of... Um, Callie's backstory, and um, we um, we will and we in fact we have in this episode an introduction uh, to a plot point that will remain relevant throughout the season, off and on. Okay, that is that she was Mars Federation special special forces, and she had blown the whistle on a corrupt squad that was planning evidence on people. Right. And this is going, but I can tell you right now, she made enemies, including the gentleman who was hiring um, the team for the for the bounty hunting job. Right. And that wasn't the only. He wasn't the only enemy she made. Well, now you know. Speaking of that, they you know they said she was special forces, and I thought that's what um, uh, Lucretia was as well. Yes. That is sounds military, not cop. And yeah. so the whole idea of planting evidence sounds more like cops than military. The Citadel squad was the one that was planting the evidence. She was not in that squad, but apparently she got wind that they were planting evidence. It just kind of seems, it sounds yeah. like she was in the same organizational like, yes. structure, and that was just a different unit, and that's kind of... Yeah, it, it did sound like it, you're right. You're right. But, yeah, okay. but I just would bring up the point that Remember that because it came up here in episode two, and it will come up a few more times. Yeah, fair enough. Um, she's the poor little rich girl that 
hates her parents and has gone off and, and has a conscience, uh, as a set of ethics, which I think is exactly what we're supposed to get out of Travis. Yes. Right? He's had enough of the, the evil that he is part of, so they all become bounty hunters. In fact, it seems like everyone becomes bounty hunters. There's like we've got yeah. bounty hunters everywhere uh, in this episode. They are just they are just overflowing. The writer of this episode was Peter I. Horton, a.k.a. a.k.a. Peter Z- Zorich, Z-O-R-I-C-H. Um, and he was one of the writers in the first season. He's one of the few okay. who came over from the first season. Uh, is it... I I don't mind being spoiled on this one. Is it going to be? And I'm I'm saying this word, these two words in air quotes. Is it going to be a running gag about them not getting paid for that first guy? No. Oh, okay. I was worried because it it had the earmarks of that when he brought it up, and and I thought, oh no, please don't make that a running gag because one, a running gag should at least be funny. And that isn't so. All right, good. That's one I can check off my terror of the future. Um, oh, I should, I, you know, I should, I should lead the other thing that I liked about this episode. Well, dual things. Uh, one, not much Percy in it, and two, she wasn't anywhere near Percy in it. That could have been any generic character. In fact, I don't even understand the bit where she told. Marcus to do this maintenance thing every four weeks and he's like you just like try to be annoying and I'm like well actually she really does just try to be annoying but that wasn't it (laughs) kind of thing that was just like hey you're an engineer do your job kind of thing I don't know so she was showing the improvement so that's good second season Percy is different from first season Percy yeah, that was kind of hard to tell in the first episode because she definitely had some of the worst of Percy's traits there and then some of the I'm not quite Percy traits. So I'm hoping she sheds that old skin fast or, you know, just gets parts about this size uh, for the rest of the, the series. But, um, okay, I've got, I've got one other thing. What's that? So they set up. The massive size of the ship. Now, you've mentioned this several times in the past, and it really has not been talked about. I mean, to a degree there is, for example, when they found the frozen guy. Blacklight. It's there, but it's not, it hasn't been, like, called to your attention to hit you over the head with it too terribly much. Or anything about the other parts of the ship. But what called my attention to it was one they did it at the beginning of the episode and you go well they walked to the door where it's the end of the place and then they said beyond that there's a whole bunch of stuff that's nothing that we don't do anything with okay all fine that's consistent then she opens the door to what should be a completely airless part of the ship because why waste all that air but okay take one step in look around step out closed door I thought, well, obviously that door will be opened later and someone will go through that door later. And they did. But of course, he was just hiding right behind the door. I know they chased him further in to get to the to the, the big empty room. But uh, it was just it was just kind of odd. Uh, he could have done that anywhere on the ship. Uh, the I did write this down uh, when I was taking notes. There, beyond that door were 10 more decks. 
plus kitchens, lounges, two ballrooms, and a baseball room. Yes, that's not really how I envisioned decks working. I would have thought the elevator would have stopped before you got to, oh yeah, and then we don't go anywhere down below deck 10 kind of thing. So that also was a little bit weird. But yeah, I did notice that this episode, um, it was more obvious to me in this episode that this is definitely a different tulip on the inside. It is. And yes, I call it tulip by mistake. It's a different transutopian on the inside. (laughs) The corridors are definitely different. Yes, people call it the tulip, too, yes. Yes, this is, uh, yes, the more we get into the second season, the more we see how much people obviously had destroyed these sets after the first season, rebuilt, and they did not rebuild to look exactly like the old sets. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're... Definitely. Both the corridors in particular with all the light up floors and everything was far too bright and shiny for the ship we know. And Travis's room just, you know, didn't look like that set that they reused over and over for everybody else's room in the first season. Yeah. Um, It it just it did not have the same look. So it's like, oh, yeah, these are just this is just completely it is a completely different uh, set. So. That that popped out at me. The other thing that pops out to me, and this is a carry-on of what I said from last time, but it's it's even more obvious in this one, that Raiders are just biker gangs now. That's how they, that's how they play, yep. That's, there seems to be nothing there that makes them seem anything but small-time criminals. And it just... The fact that they're hanging out on the Jupiter Federation and they're worried about them having a turf war, it's like, that does not sound like the Raiders at all. The Raiders are off, you know, out there at their space jamboree or flying around on their ships, raiding kids and coming into the inner systems when they want to attack stuff. They're not hanging around having turf wars and, you know, the Jets and the, oh, what's the other one? West Side Story. West Story, um, the Sharks. The Jets and the Sharks. There we go. So it's the Dakotas and the Verns. Um, and the other one that they mentioned. I forgot what that one was. But be grateful that they're not dancing in, in the streets like they were in the movie. Not yet. There's a ballroom. <laughs> and I think Marcus is also a Varen, right? Ex-Varen, yeah. Ex-Varen. Well, okay, but once you're a Varen, you're a Varen. You're a Varen. <laughs> it's like, and then they send bounty hunters after you. So... It was also kind of that, yeah, He's he was worried for Travis's sake, not his. Well, he was only an apprentice anyway. Yeah, I guess. Is that, is that from the time they kidnap you until the time that you kidnap your first child? That's, that's the apprentice something, something phase. Like yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. I do appreciate the fact that, they, that there was some comments about kidnapping stupid people. Yeah. Is there any more to that? In other words, so we saw in the last episode that there was this kid who had been singled out to be the next Varen leader. That was skinny. Oh, yes. Right. And they apparently targeted him. So uh, this does not sound like, right, the raid we saw where Travis was taken, where it sounds like we hit a colony, we take all the kids we can find, and we get out, and then sort them out as they grow up this sounds to me like they've actually got a chosen child in mind they break in kill the parents take the kid 
take the kid off to be the anointed one to grow up to be the next leader of the Varens. Did they like do a test on him? I mean, did he, do they get his standardized tests from school and go, Oh, he's doing really well. That's the one we're going to steal. Cause this raises questions in my mind (laughs) or, or, you know, are they kidnapping kids who are too dumb to go home after dark when they're young and they get lost? And so that's why they got a bunch of dumb ones that they've, that they've got whole. I, it could be a combination this, of factors, uh, and also to to answer a, a recurring question about the Raiders. Uh, apparently, it's possible to be born into a clan. Well, they did say that in this episode. She wasn't born to our clan, or something like that. Yes. Except that I wasn't the guy who said it, but was the guy who stood next to him that wasn't born into the clan either, because they stole him right and they're not using the term liberate anymore well, also people were talking also they were talking about sira uh who sira that was her name yes yeah. who, who as an adult had been part of another clan did they name that clan i thought they did but I, people did i did i remember hearing some syllables and never quite figured out what they were right no subtitles so yeah <laughs> exactly all right Rodolfo. Yes. I have, again, what I, my picture of Rodolfo is from season one. And he's a fat, drunken, sexist slob. And he still is. And he does not seem competent. In this, he certainly was competent enough to read and understand technical manuals, establish uh, encrypted backdoor communications. Um, He's certainly capable of killing someone. He, you know, broke into Travis's room, although I think that was Travis's room. It looked different from Travis's room later in the episode, but that could just be the angle. Um, I took that to be um, just another one of those empty rooms on the big ship. Okay, it could be. Did you notice that he broke into the room, he got out that briefcase, he pulled out the tablet, he saw the picture of Travis and Sarah, um, and some numbers and stuff. Then Travis started to come in, and he he hid in the closet, but Travis left before he actually came in. And then he left without putting things back the way they were before he broke in. A bit of an oversight on his part. Yeah, I kind of thought that was going to play out. Later on, it was so obvious that he did it that, you know, we needed that scene where Travis walks into his room, sees his suitcase sprawled out on the bed or whatever it was and go, hmm, you know, we don't get that. We do get that Rodolfo killed the bounty hunter and everyone seemed a bit surprised. They did indeed. Is that because they don't kill, or is that because they didn't think Rudolfo had it in him? Uh, they're bounty hunters. They're they know they may have to kill, but uh, they do. If you think, if you look at it more or less from Percy's point of view, certainly she has known Rudolfo, and that would be a surprise to her. I mean, he was trying to rescue somebody who was kidnapped. So, I mean, it did it did kind of seem like of that group of people, whoever got the shot should have taken it. So I, it didn't it didn't really surprise me. Of course, I couldn't tell if those guns were stun guns because they are completely different from season one guns. They are. 
Um, but we did learn, but the only way I knew that he had killed the bounty hunter, the other bounty hunter, was we got that in dialogue in the next scene. Right. I had to do it. He knew who you were. Yeah. So is it's hard for me to ask this question. Is that an indication that Rudolfo has realized that Travis is a better asset for him as a bounty hunter, even though he's not employing him directly? Or that's at least part of it. Because I mean, yeah, he's not he hasn't hired Travis and he doesn't work for Travis, but they're in a they're in a profit sharing agreement between his bounty hunter Callie and him. And so if he's more effective, that renders Callie more effective and therefore he gets more money. So it makes sense that he would, uh, if he thinks he's good, and I mean good at the job, not good as a a good human being, I think. I mean, you could take the the standpoint that says there are a finite number of bounties and I either get half of that finite number or... I get all of that finite number. You could take that one as well, but well, there's one thing. There's one aspect of Rodolfo. Or a few aspects. Well, back up. The Rodolfo's character is fairly consistent in both seasons. He he likes money. The more he can get, the happier he is. All right. Well, at least that's um, you know at least we know where his heart is. But and we have noticed that he's not entirely above board about that. Of course not. In the past. Well, that's not, of course not. I mean, Travis, I'm sure, likes having money too, but yeah. he seems like he's going to play it on the up and up. Yeah, but we but we know Rodolfo's character, so it just fits. Yeah, right? there have been a few times in the past where he has, I wouldn't exactly say double-crossed, like he hasn't double-crossed Dante or anything, but there have been a few times in the past where he has cut questionable deals that he expects Dante to carry out, so... Uh, you know, I don't know how far he would go. I, I, I don't actually have a clue as to how corrupt uh, Rudolfo is. Oh, uh, you'll have 20 more episodes to get an idea. To know how corrupt he is. <laughs> All right. Let's see. What else can I think of? So, Jupiter Federation. Yep. That guy used to be a cop. His name is Rindal Ving. <laughs> okay. Ving! Um, Mr. Ving is a uh, former cop. It sounds to me like he was a cop, but then the Jupiter Federation found out that it was better to hire not cops to do their policing because they could basically break the law. So the cops quit and became not cops. Is that what I'm getting out of this? Um, the Well... That's somewhat there. Uh, is that there's so much bureaucracy that it's just quicker to hire bounty hunters. But he's not a bounty hunter. No, but he, he and he's not him. a cop anymore either. No, he's um, no. He's, one of the recurring themes in Star Hunter, especially in the second season, is that when when we do see police officers, they're frequently corrupt. Oh, it's it's such a it's such a rosy and optimistic future that they've got presented here I know. um <laughs> scrawl on the wall everywhere and yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way get used to seeing that set of sin city we first I was wondering it's already we're back here we first saw it already. in the previous episode you know and keep seeing it the uh, 
whoever it was who built, who paid for the sets had that set built, and people were going to get their money's worth out of it. Yeah, I mean, he's. There are only so many places you can go to, and I mean, Sin City. I mean, what a cleverly named place. I know. Um, <laughs> but we'll name it with a Y instead. Exactly. So. It's nice to know that in the future that there that IO is populated. Yeah, that's something. I just I don't know. It, it just it feels like for all the accomplishments that they've made, everything's worse in this world, and. Uh, as you know, that actually isn't the the prevailing weight of history. You know, everybody thinks, "Oh, I want the good old days," but objectively speaking, it's better. Exactly, the good right? days. The good old days were never that good. That's right, and you know, in every category, you usually are looking at these at, at the numbers of what the quality of life are, and they have improved drastically. Yes, they have over time, and yet. So when we project forward into the future, yet it's worse than it's worse than today because you know things are always going to crap. So because of that that mindset that people have about things getting worse than the good old days, therefore the future will be worse when in fact it won't be perfect. Yes, well it's that old it's the old Silent Green Blade Runner vision mm-hmm. of dystopia. Yeah, definitely a poor man's Blade Runner dystopia. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that all clans, the leader, have a finger sticky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I noticed that. We got this... that prop. We're going to use it. <laughs> oh, yeah. They paid for it. They're going to use it. It's true. Also, we'll keep going back to Clark Station. Okay. Well, uh, fair enough. I, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with that because, I mean, it is a finite size. Exactly. Solar system. And they're, they're mainly sailing. They're mostly going around Saturn, the Saturn system, going around Saturn, the Saturn system, the Jupiter system. Maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, it, it makes perfect sense. And it makes sense that those would be the places, or I don't know that they are, but it would make sense if they kept going back to those places, if those were the places where, I don't know, they had to take their prisoners. Or they yeah. went to get their assignments. Exactly. It's where, it's where the work is. It's where the work is, so that's where you go. Yes, and so, um, it, so it made sense to build the standing sets. Yeah. And in the old in the old program, the old season, you know, there was that kind of layer of, of abstraction because Rodolfo was on the moon, I guess. He was. Calling the shots. So he could be doing whatever and making deals for them to be shuttling people as opposed to... You know, whoever would pick up the bounty could get it and have them send it. But they still would have been going to specific places regularly to to drop people off. So yeah, no, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. All right. Oh, here's a, and this is um, not so much a character beat as it's more an aesthetic notice. I did notice that Percy looks different in the second season as opposed to the first. I must say she that looks better without coloring her hair. And I understand when people did it in the first season uh, because the uh, Miss Tanya Allen was 25 years old playing 18. Oh. In the first See, I season. thought it was because color TV was new. <laughs> or they didn't have any other color on the set, so we have to get some, you know, pay yeah. for those color TVs. Yeah. And yeah, she looks so much older. It's not even funny in this. I mean, I'd, I'd put... F- she looks every one of those 25 years in this. 
So, and, I, and I'm not saying that to be mean. It's just she absolutely looks like this is many years later than when she was in the, the show. Whether that's makeup, whether that's because there is a few years delay, um, whether it's because they've cut her hair completely differently or they use less makeup or whatever it is, but she definitely looks older. And that's good to me because, A, I'm a really old person. And so mm-hmm. she doesn't look as childlike, you know, in the rearview mirrors kind of thing. But at the same time, it conveys the promise that she's matured and it is, it is her immaturity and, well, more than immaturity, it's her insanity and immaturity that I hate about that character. And so any hope that she's actually kind of grown up into this, you know, is, you know, good. I, I <clears throat> but yeah, that's yeah. She, I I noticed that she definitely looked in this one in particular older than the last episode. In fact, well, the previous episode had to straddle everything, mm-hmm. but throughout this season, she um, goes through a variety of hairstyles. But um, she does look closer to thirty, which is where she was, and that's that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I guess we're supposed to believe that there is uh, a simmering sexual tension between Travis and Callie. Oh yeah, look for okay. look, look for that to play out throughout to play out during the season. Okay, well, um, you know they haven't got it. They haven't got it sizzling just yet. Well, they just met. I know, except <laughs> that uh, that Sierra uh, spotted it. Yeah. So. Uh, it was supposed to be there for us to see. There's a little bit. Uh, uh, there's a little bit of lust at first sight. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, again, I'm. You know, uh, I'm not having any problem with the guy playing Travis. He seems to be all right. Clive That's Robertson. Two, two episodes in a row, and he hasn't done anything outrageously stupid. Maybe a little bit. You know. I mean, he, the, the fact that they just went ahead and blabbed on in their whether it was a quarter or whether it was a cell, I think it was sort of locked quarters, but wow. <laughs> I was like, wow. How could you not think that you were being monitored 24 seven? I, you, you could that ask boggled the, my mind. You could ask the same question about Syrah. Yes. Yes. I, both of them. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not making a excuse for her either. It was like, uh, this is definitely not the place to put your cards on the table. It was not Sarah's place to walk into that room and say, hey, Travis, what's going on with you? It's like, if you were going to give him away, why didn't you just give him away when he came in? So, yeah, that, apart from that, though. Yeah, and what did you think about uh, Callie and her her attitude, especially when uh, she jammed the fork between Ving's fingers? Still getting a read on her. Um, obviously that was immediately following that scene where it was revealed that she's, you know, on the outs from special forces because she did the honorable thing. So it's entirely consistent, um, that she is, feels very strongly about these things and probably, you know, let's face it, you've done the right thing and you've gotten, you've gotten the shaft. You've been essentially cashiered from the military for doing the objectively right thing. 
So, yeah, no, I could see that she would be mad about it. And we get that also from the fact that she's obviously not at all happy with her parents. So she's got a temper. So, okay. I I didn't uh, I didn't have any problem with that. I'll tell you where I did kind of have a problem with her character was the... Well, so shall we all go for it? Half in favor, half against. Oh, Marcus, you're the deciding vote. Now, Marcus pulls the... I don't want to say he's the smart one here, but he does pull the small, obviously pull the smart move. He doesn't want to be the person who is the deciding vote because who wants to be that person? And so instead he manipulates Callie yes, by did. making her, by making her do a dumb thing, which is appeal to her machismo. Oh, McFly. Are you chicken? Right? It's it's that. He he gets her to do any old dumb thing, apparently, because basically he's called her chicken. He's, he's done it more subtly than than Biff would do to get Marty McFly going, but but it's the same principle. Don't like that character trait in her. She seemed to be or I wanna take that back. I was gonna say she seems to be reasonably competent. She's reasonably competent to the military stuff and the fighting stuff. Okay. Um, I don't know whether she's a competent bounty hunter because it turns out she's never done it before. Right. Right. We got last time we got the impression she was a bounty hunter. And I guess, you know, if you get the license, you're a bounty hunter. Uh, The fact that she's never actually brought anybody in before. Are you not? Is she like, you know, is that what is the state of a virgin bounty hunter? Um, She has not brought anybody in and we didn't get that last time this time she did explicitly say that in her background that that was her first that was her first case and then she got got it stolen by by um travis and marcus so so you know she's not an experienced bounty hunter she's experienced fighter not an experienced bounty hunter i yeah but i still don't like her being riled up by the chicken thing that just doesn't sit with somebody that that's supposed to be confident in that competent in that kind of thing but i guess we'll see no there are 20 more episodes to see and um i did like the scene in which um uh, asked her for an apology and she expected him to apologize to her i gotta i gotta tell you the truth i had when i couldn't figure out what she was supposed to apologize for um actually that was she barely did and when I love how she just puts it. I said I apologize. Yeah, but I, I, I literally don't know for what she didn't do anything wrong. I mean, yes, she, she swiped and fork at him, well, which she, scared she, him. She, she scared him. She didn't break any skin. Yeah, I mean, is she supposed to pay for his new pair of pants or whatever? But <laughs> I, I, I didn't really. I, I'm get with you that. there. She didn't do anything to for which to apologize. But I guess no, make nice with the man who's paying the bounty. Right. So, honestly, I guess I could put that in category two of Travis doing stupid things. He should have he should have broached that if that was a necessary part of getting the money before they went. I mean, he should be able to go to her and say, look, he's a pig and he's the guy that signs the checks. So, tell him you're sorry, whatever it was. And we both know you aren't sorry. I'm not sorry you did it. I'm sure you're not sorry you did it. 
but telling that anyway, so he'll sign the checks. I could see that, but by not telling her until they get there, that's just that's just room for another explosion to happen, mm-hmm. which it almost did. Yeah. It almost did. So, yeah. All right. So I did a little can... reading uh, in preparation for the recording session on the first episode of the season. I did some reading about Don Stern, who plays Kelly Larcadia. Okay. And apparently, and of course, no, and IMDb has quotes from people about themselves. And apparently, she is um, tomboyish, and she enjoys playing roles that allow her to stretch that muscle, shall we say? Okay. And so I get, so I do wonder how close to reality Kelly Larcadia is for her. It's just, obviously, there's, she found something to a, she found something in that part that was in her, thought that was interesting. And in, in speaking of the uh, people who are more, who who may be close to their roles, um, some time ago, I, years ago, I was, Tossing around on the internet, trying to find out about Star Hunter twenty three hundred, which is what the second season used to be called, mm-hmm. and I found a website which I haven't found yet. So I guess someone took down the website, and it was it, it was a website that came out at the time that Star Hunter twenty three hundred was going out on the on the air, and it was there was a, there was an interview with Clive Robertson who plays Travis, okay. And he made a statement that I have remembered, which is that Tanya Allen was more or less playing herself in the second season. Okay. I mean, okay. Uh, that's Is that a compliment or is that an indictment on he lack of He wasn't indicting it, talent? but, but uh, I wouldn't. I've seen her act. She's played plenty of, I mean, she usually plays somewhat offbeat characters. I've seen I've seen her in enough I've seen her in enough TV series and in movies to notice she usually plays the spur of some person who's slightly off center. I mean, there is a <clears throat> you have a writer, and the writer's job is to create the characters, and the writer's job is to put somebody on the page that an actor can bring to life, and it shouldn't matter what the actor is like in real life. Uh, I'm I'm saying it shouldn't matter. It does matter. Obviously, for example, um, Roger Moore was kind of playing the Roger Moore character. That's not really Roger Moore either, but he had one character. So you hire him for a part that's this way. It's like this is this is the type part we're going to play, and that's a perfect part for Roger Moore. It's you could call it typecasting. You could call it uh, you could call it lack of uh, range. Uh, any number of things, right? That that does happen. But when you're hiring Roger Moore, you're hiring a big name that the name is a draw. And so Tanya Allen is not that. And maybe a little bit in Canada, but but generally not that. And, you know, are, are, you, are what we're saying here is that the writers are just letting her flow with what they've got? Or... Did the writers change what they wrote to fit her? Because now that we're far enough out that that they've had a chance to work with her. Because, you know, one of the things that, that producers or writers have a problem with the show is that they have to write a few episodes before they actually start production. So they start production and the actors are in them. And then the actors do bring 
some of themselves to it. And then the writers can see that and then the writers can work with that. And I don't know. I, 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 whenever, whenever somebody says that's pretty much that person, I kind of, I don't know. I, I take it with a bit of a grain of salt or it depends on what they mean by it. You know, sometimes the person's just larger than life. That's usually where you hear that. It's like, it's like a flamboyant like jo- character. John Wayne then, played John Wayne. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, he's another one like Roger Moore, although he did occasionally uh, stretch a little bit once in a blue moon, but then I guess so did Roger Moore occasionally, yeah. but. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. Well, I got the, I didn't get the impression from the, um, from the interview that it was any kind of criticism. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see what she's like in season two and hope that it's nothing like season one. Um, that'll make this a whole lot easier. Okay. <laughs> easier on my blood pressure. Mm-hmm. It really will. I haven't got anything else. Uh, well, I think you were, you checked in last I asked you last time to check in on whether or not you did. this was a completely different uh, team behind the scenes. And, and what? how does that work out? It's not completely different. It's mostly different. Mostly different. Um, no, the, writers. The, the writer here, Peter I. Horton, um, listed as Zorich during season two, um, wrote four episodes of season one. He wrote four episodes of season two, including the first the second and the third episodes okay. of season two. So he's the world builder. All right. Yes. And the Mr. Nilu Giron, uh, who wrote in season one, wrote, yep. we wrote six episodes in season one, wrote one episode in season two. Okay. And G. Philip Jackson, who is one of the series creators, wrote in both, wrote a little bit in both seasons. Plus, um, from based on what I've heard, he did what, uh, what paid writers often do, which is they give to put put a to do a rewrite sometimes of um, someone else's script, but you won't see he you won't see Jackson's name on it because he won't because he didn't jump the credit. Okay, but yeah, so I know that I'm, when I was watching some of the, um, I know about this better on um, on more established shows like Star Trek: The Next Generation, where the staff writers often did a rewrite of someone's script and then you just saw the original person's name on the script. I know that's all strictly guided by union rules. Union rules. Exactly. So exactly. And the term is jumping the credit and that he will will didn't want to jump the credit. Hmm. They're also, they're mostly different directors in season two. What did you think of the directing of this episode? When I watched it yesterday, I really wasn't paying so much attention just to the, visuals i'm gonna say there were two two places where the direction jumped out at me um one was the scene where percy pulls the gun and shoots at the bounty hunter or shoots at the bounty hunter broker and tovey that that one should have gone back for a retake because it looks terrible um it looks so slow and so awkward for a trained bounty hunter has a gun on Percy. Percy is hiding a gun and she manages to very slowly and awkwardly make back and get a gun and shoot yeah. Yeah. and hit somebody. It looked terrible. Yeah. I saw her with one hand behind her back and I figured there's, there's a gun back there. Then there's that too. But yeah, it was, it was just not, it just was not smooth. It was not fluid and it, 
did not convincingly look like she had time to pull that gun and shoot before she'd have been gunned down. And that's that's on the directing or on the editing. That just, that didn't work. And the other scene that really drew my attention and I thought, this is intentional and it's ugly and I don't know why they've done it. And that's the scene where where Dakota 79 and and Sarah are lying in his bunk and his yeah. boot is stuck in front of the camera. Yeah. Why did they do that? It's it, the framing of that shot is hideous. <laughs> it is <laughs> like, I, I remember that scene, yeah. It was uh yeah, I can take your point. The director was Roger Gartland. And may Roger has a foot fetish, perhaps. Yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> uh, he directed six of the twenty-two episodes. Okay, including the last one. Including no, um, the previous director on the pre on the first episode of the season was David Wheatley, who who directed seven of the twenty-two. Okay, so he's a staff director. All right, both of them are. Well, anyway, that that was those were the things that caught my attention. Yeah, and and beyond that, what is the next? Uh, what is the next episode? The next episode of Star Hunter Redux is Biocrime. Biocrime. And oh this, boy, more crime. It's, it's a Marcus Fagan-centered episode. All right. Well, it will be interesting to see whether this character... He's a bit annoying in the first one. He was a lot better in this one. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to imagine Marcus as a raider. It's... <laughs> Right. There's all you've always got to have the short, creepy guy in your gang, and that's him. Yeah, you know, the, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Mickey, go get him. Yeah, that who, guy. You got to have him. That guy who also likes ballroom dancing. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well, I guess they call that character development nowadays. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure, listeners. I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the second episode of the 11th Hour, entitled Containment. And we discuss the experience of viewing epidemic fiction during a pandemic just what Hood has been spaffing his Whitehall budget on, and a piece of misdirection concerning digging up zombies to make way for yuppies. Please come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.